1: Well, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are excited that you have decided to worship with us this week. I want to welcome all of those who are online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you with us, as well as all of those out in Prescott Valley. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Uh, Before we dive into our message, I do want to talk to you about these little invite cards. So for those of you at our Prescott campus, you find them on your seat. If you didn't pick them up, you're sitting on them. Out in Prescott Valley, I believe they are going to be passing these out uh, right now. So invite you to grab one of these. So these are an invite card that are uh, pointing you to the Christmas services that are happening in just a couple of weeks. Now, if you'll notice, as you flip this thing over, there's a whole lot of blank space on the back. That's intentional because the goal of these cards is not simply for you to drop them instead of a tip at Applebee's today to a TikTok server. The goal of you, of these is for you to write a note and to actually hand it to somebody. Specifically, if you've been around Quad City for a while, to hand it to your one, to the person in your life that you know that God's calling you to help them take a step in following Jesus. So write them a note and invite them with this card. And again, the, the invite is an invite from you, not an invite from us. It's an invite for you to hand to them to say, hey, come sit with me and celebrate Christmas together with our family. So invite them to come, write them a note. If you need more of them, we'll give you more of them, but we want everybody to at least have one of them. So take that with you today, and you'll find all of the Christmas times on it, both the Prescott and the Prescott Valley campuses, all right there in the card. So make sure you grab that on your way out today. We are continuing this series that we began last week that we're calling the Songs of Christmas because Christmas is virtually inseparable from music, from singing. Like, there's no other holiday like it. Like, essentially, they are one and the same. Like, we don't have songs for Thanksgiving. Actually, there was one, but Christmas stole it. Jingle Bells was actually a Thanksgiving song. I know right now you're going to start singing it in your head and you're not going to hear anything I say for the next two minutes. You can look it up later. It was actually a Thanksgiving song that got swallowed up by Christmas, but we don't have Thanksgiving songs. You ain't singing songs around your football and turkey. If I ask you about songs for the 4th of July, you could come up with some patriotic songs, but I guarantee you, you did not sing a single one of them at your 4th of July barbecue. Just didn't happen. Like, all we have for Halloween is trick-or-treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. Like, that's, that's all you got. Like, uh, Arbor Day or Labor Day, we have no songs for those unless you count Take This Job and Shove It, and then that might be a good Labor Day song. There are obviously songs that we sing around Easter. Like, there are great resurrection songs that we sing, but you only ever hear them at church. In fact, you'd be shocked if you heard them going through the Walmarts, right? You'd be shocked to hear them if you were sitting at Texas Roadhouse and they were playing it over your dinner like that. It just doesn't happen. You don't have those at Easter. But Christmas is different. Like again, just last week, there were thousands, eight, 10,000 people down at the courthouse and they were singing Christmas carols. Not just holiday songs, they were singing Jesus songs. Thousands upon thousands of strangers. And every TV network over the next couple of weeks will have some kind of special that will have people singing Jesus songs for Christmas. Because there's just something about the celebration of Christmas that intrinsically causes people to sing. As we mentioned last week, this is not a new phenomenon. In fact, from the very beginning, the events surrounding Christmas have always inspired songs. And so throughout this series, we're taking a look at the first songs that were written and sung to celebrate Christmas. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Last week, we went through Mary's song. This week, we're going to look at Zachariah's song. But before we get to the song itself, which is actually in Luke 2, we're going to have to set the stage because like every good song, this song has a backstory. And so I want to share with you a little bit of the backstory of Zechariah's song and then we'll look at Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 2. But it begins in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 5, where we're introduced to a priest named Zechariah and his wife whose name is Elizabeth. And what we're told about Zachariah and Elizabeth is that they were upright in the sight of God and they obeyed all the commands of the Lord blamelessly. Like they were blameless. They were holy, they were obedient, they were God-fearing, they were upright in the sight of God, which makes the next verse so confusing for those in that day. Because the next verse says, that they had no children, that Elizabeth was was barren and was not able to conceive. And they're both old and they can't have kids, which in that time would have seemed like an oxymoron to have been declared righteous in one hand and childless in the other. Those things did not go together because Because children were seen as a blessing from the Lord. It was a gift of God for your righteousness. And being childless was seen as a curse from God. As if you had done something wrong, that's why you can't have kids. But God didn't see it that way. Because he connects the two. He says, they were blameless and they were childless. One did not affect the other. Now in Israel, at this time, there was about 18,000 priests. And they would operate all over the nation. Every little town that had a synagogue had some priests in the synagogue. And these priests were, were everywhere, all over. And they were broken up into divisions, serving all over the nation. But each division would get an opportunity once or twice a year to actually travel to Jerusalem and serve as priests in the holy place, in the very temple of God. And and it was a huge honor. Now, one of those weeks, Zechariah's division is is sent to Jerusalem to serve at the temple, to serve in the holy place, where one of the priests would get chosen by a lot, by casting of a die, and they would get picked to actually go into the holy place inside the temple and to offer up prayers of incense on behalf of the people. And while Zechariah's division was there, The lot was cast, and Zechariah got the opportunity to go into the holy place to offer up prayers on behalf of the people of God. So as people would gather outside of the temple to pray, the the priest, this case Zechariah, gets the opportunity to go in. And this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Most priests never got the chance to go into the holy place. And once you did get to go in, your name got pulled from the lottery. You didn't get a chance to go in twice. So this is the only time in Zachariah's life that he would ever get to do this. And so the text says he goes into the holy place. And while he was there, about to light the incense for the prayers of the people to go up before the Lord, Zechariah goes in and standing beside the table by the altar of incense is an angel of God. And the text says that he was gripped with fear, to which I say, Of course he was. Okay. As we mentioned last week, it's been 400 years since anybody has heard from the Lord. 400 years since there's been any prophecy, any dreams, any visions, any sighting, any angels, nothing for 400 years. For 400 years, every day for 400 years, priests have been going into this holy place, offering up prayers on behalf of the people, and none of them have ever seen or heard anything from the Lord for 400 years, yet Zechariah walks in and an angel is standing there. And so he's startled and the angel begins to speak and here's what he says. The angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. And just for context, this is the announcement of the birth Of John the Baptist. So for those of you who got a church background, you can help connect the dots here. This is John the Baptist and the announcement of his birth. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And I will go, I'm sorry, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zechariah goes in and this angel begins to speak and tells him, the Lord has heard your prayers and you're going to have a son. I wonder, how long do you think it's been since Zachariah prayed a prayer asking the Lord for a son? I mean, we're told he's an old man. I don't know what that means. Is he 40, 50, 60, 70? But he's an old man. How long do you think it's been since he prayed a prayer asking God to give him a son? My guess is it's probably been a minute. You're 50, 60 years old. You're not praying for an infant. (laughs) Guaranteed, you're praying the other way. Oh, Lord, please, God, no. Right? (laughs) But this is a moment where the angel says, hey, the Lord's heard your prayer, and he's going to answer it which is a great reminder for us that with God, timing is everything. It's been said that God is seldom early, but he's never late. God heard Zechariah's prayer, and he's going to answer his request for a son. But this goes well beyond just Zachariah and Elizabeth having a son. What the angel tells Zechariah is, your son is going to be the one to prepare the the way for the Lord. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Like he's going to be sent to pave the way for a Savior to come into the world. As I mentioned last week, it's been four hundred years since God has spoken. The end of the book of Malachi was the last time anyone heard from the Lord. And do you remember what God said at the end of the book of Malachi? You remember? I didn't think so. Here's what he says. This is so important. The last thing God spoke, this is the last verse of the book of Malachi, the last verse in your Old Testament. The last thing God said was, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. This was a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And he says, before I send him, I'm going to send one like the prophet Elijah. And he's going to turn the hearts of the people to the Lord. Zechariah was a priest. He knew this verse. And did you hear it in the proclamation from the angel? With these words in mind, this is what the angel said. And he, your son, Zechariah, will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Wait, what? And he's going to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah, you remember the last thing I told you that I'm gonna send one before I send the Messiah who's gonna pave the way? I'm telling you, Zechariah, that's your son. That's his job. Your son is the Elijah that I promised was coming. And Zechariah responds, I think in a way that most of us would respond to something like this. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. (laughs) I don't think he wanted it to get back that he called his wife old. I don't think that would go well for him. So he says, I'm old, and she's... She's been around the block. I don't know what else to say. She's, how is this going to happen? How can I be sure what you're telling me is true? Like, can I get something in writing here? Is there some sort of sign that you can give me that proves that this is going to actually come to pass? And I love how the angel responds to this. The angel the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Like, you want a sign? <laughs> I am your sign. I'm an angel. I Five minutes ago, I was standing in the very throne room of God, and I've been sent here to tell you this is going to happen. My name's Gabriel. I know the Lord personally. I've seen him face to face, and he sent me to speak to you. Does this happen a lot to you? (laughs) You want a sign? I am your sign. But... Because you didn't believe me, I'll give you another one. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So instantly, Zechariah goes mute and apparently deaf as well. There's a little, little play on the words here that it could mean both. And I think he does go deaf as we'll see as we go on later in this text. Apparently, because he did not believe what he was told, Zachariah gets no other words. No words to hear and no words to speak until this word comes to pass. Now, while all of this is going on, the people are standing outside praying, thinking, He's been in there a while. I wonder what's going on with that guy. And he comes out, but he can't speak. And so what we have there in your text is like the first game of charades as they're trying to figure out what's going on because he can't tell them. So he's like, okay, three words, angel, right? And after his week in Jerusalem is done, he goes back home. And sure enough, Elizabeth conceives. And for her, this, it's this great celebration, this thing that she's been dreaming of her whole life finally comes to pass. And then she starts to show and then all of the ladies in the village celebrate with her that God has gifted her with this amazing gift of a child and the curse is lifted, the shame is gone and they celebrate and then she tells them that not only is she pregnant, but her husband can't speak and so they all celebrate again. <laughs> Amazing miracle of God in these stories. Then the big day comes and the child arrives and there's a celebration that lasts for several days because on the eighth day is when you take your son and you would have him circumcised and that's when he would receive his name. And so they're all gathered together for this sacred moment of him being circumcised to the Lord and given his name And all the family gathers up and says he needs to be named Zachariah. And and Elizabeth says, no, 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 his name is John. So apparently, uh, Zachariah had made it clear the angel said we're to name him John. But the family didn't like that name because it wasn't a family name. I think it's kind of funny that even back then, everybody had an opinion on what you should name your children. But Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. They ignore her and they go over to Zachariah and says, Hey, what are we supposed to name this kid? But again, they have to play charades. Because again, this is why I think he's probably deaf, because if he wasn't deaf, they could just, if he just couldn't speak, they could just ask him. But they have to play charades. What are we gonna name this child? And he asks for a tablet, which is probably a piece of wood with some wax covering it, and he scratches in the wax. His name is John. And instantly in that moment, his mouth is open. His tongue is loosed. After at least nine months of hearing silence and not being able to speak, Zachariah is able to speak. And the first words that come out of his mouth are the song that we find, Zechariah. Singing in Luke chapter 2. So, in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 68, there's a song accredited to Zechariah called the Benedictus. It means to bless or to praise. What's interesting about this song is it's actually a prophecy. It's a song not even about Zechariah's son, it's actually a song about the Messiah who is to come only the last few verses are actually about John the Baptist. The first two-thirds of this song are about Jesus. And here's what it says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and has redeemed them. Just time out for just a second. Has the Messiah actually come yet? Has the Son been sent yet? Has the people of Israel, have they been redeemed yet? And the answer to those is no. Yet Zechariah in this moment speaks as if they have already happened. Like they've already are accomplished. In nine months of silence before the Lord, God was able to move a man who doubted that he was even able to have a child With an angel standing there telling him in the holy place, God has moved that guy who doubts that he could have a child. He moves him to a place where Zacharias speaks that as if everything that the Lord has said is already as good as done. I want that kind of faith. Don't you? A faith that treats all of the promises of God as if they are already accomplished. My guess is if I would spend more time with my mouth shut, sitting in silence, I would probably get there a little quicker. Zechariah then says, he has raised up, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. And this is how we know that Zechariah is not talking about John. He's talking about Jesus, because John was not born of the house of David. His father, Zechariah, was of the the priestly division of uh, Abijah, And his mother was from the line of Aaron. So John came from a line of priests, not a line of kings. David was the line of kings. So is not talking about his son. He's talking about the Messiah from the house of David. And when he says he has raised up a horn of salvation, He's not talking about an instrument that you blow into. They're not that kind of horn. He's talking about the, the horn of an animal. Now, my guess is the horn that he's thinking of, that Zechariah is probably thinking of, and probably most of the people in Israel were thinking of, the animal that they had in mind was a wild ox. Because wild ox was spoken of many times in the Old Testament, which would have just been Zechariah's Bible, Read things like this. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. God brought them out of Egypt and they have the strength of a wild ox. In majesty, he is like a firstborn bull. His horns are the horns of a wild ox. Think about this wild ox. It's probably something to look like this. And in a world without trucks or bulldozers or tanks, this was the most powerful creature in the world that they lived in. Weren't in a lot of elephants running around in first century Middle East. This was the most powerful animal that they could think of. This wild ox. And all of its strength, when all of its power is unleashed, what it is unleashed through the horns. All of its strength and all of its power come through those horns. And Zechariah says, God has raised up for us a horn of salvation. One that the prophet said was coming over and over again, and now he's here. And it's not John. John is the forerunner. This horn of salvation, this display of the power and the might and the strength of God, his name is Jesus. And how is this power going to be displayed? It's going to be displayed through salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. Drop down to verse 74. He's going to be displayed because he's, this horn of salvation is going to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days god is unleashing a horn of salvation his power and his strength are going to come through this messiah through jesus and he's going to rescue he's going to rescue his people from their enemies he's going to rescue them and ensure that they are going to be able to worship in holiness and righteousness all of their days Now the enemy that many of the people of Israel were thinking was going to be toppled by this Messiah were the Romans. That we're going to overthrow this this nation that has come in and held us captive and kept us down. And there's going to be a Messiah who raises up and throws off the Romans so that we can be established as a powerful nation like like we were in the time of David. That's not... It's not what God had in mind. God had something bigger in mind. They were thinking in their day that they needed a political Messiah, but God has something bigger. Looking back now, it's easy for us to see that our greatest enemy is not another nation. Our greatest enemy is not a political party. It's not a government It's not a terror group. It's not even an ideology or a worldview. Those are not our greatest enemies. Our greatest enemies are sin and death. And those enemies, the enemies of sin and death, have gone undefeated since the war began in the Garden of Eden. But because God was about to send his Messiah in the world, those enemies... We're about to be defeated. Now comes John's part. And I like to think when we get to this part of the song, I could just imagine Zachariah walking over to his eight-day-old son and picking him up and singing these words over him. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. This is the enemy the Messiah is going to defeat. Zechariah says, you're going to help the people have knowledge of salvation, and the salvation he is gonna bring is the forgiveness of their sins. Sin and death are gonna be defeated by the Lord who is to come, and you're the one who's gonna prepare the way for him. What an amazing moment. Zechariah understood that true salvation doesn't come when a government is toppled or a new president is elected. That isn't a redemption that will last. The salvation we need is salvation that comes through the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus was the only one who could offer that. John the Baptist was the one who would prepare the way. Then he wraps up this song this way. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is such vivid imagery. That phrase, shadow of death, was used to describe the kind of night, darkness that fell on travelers when they were stuck Between two towns. And you're traveling from one place to another, and night fell. And it was in that darkness that murderers and thieves and wild animals had a chance to descend on you and attack you. Imagine being caught out in that kind of wilderness in a world with no electricity, no headlights to guide you, no Flashlights to illuminate your way, but overwhelming darkness surrounding you. That's the imagery he uses to talk about the world. That's what the world has been in since the time that sin entered the world and the curse came in. But now there is a sun that is rising. There is a sun that is coming. There is a light that is on his way. He's coming to illuminate the darkness that the world has been stuck in to save the people who have been in the shadow of death and lead them out of the darkness into the only path of peace. The gospel writer John, there's four stories of the life of Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke tells us the most about the Christmas story. John skips it all together, or at least he skips the earthly part, and he gives us a bigger picture of what was going on. But everything that John writes at the beginning of his gospel mirrors What we find here in Zechariah and John's story. Here's what the gospel writer of John tells us In him, in this Messiah, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe, he'll come and tell them about him. He himself, John, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And this is what we celebrate on Christmas morning. That the light has come and the darkness has been defeated, and death no longer has reign because the light has come. And that's worth singing about. And my hope is that as we prepare over the next couple of weeks, as we celebrate what we call Advent, the arrival of the light coming into the darkness, that we are overwhelmed with praise and gratitude because sin and death have finally been defeated. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you haven't left us in the darkness, that you sent John to pave the way, to open up the the gate for Jesus to walk through, to illuminate the darkness, not just of the world, but of our own hearts. And may we, as we, Prepare for this celebration. May we sing the the glorious praises that you have sent your son. May we lift up his name. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.